Welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice in a biblical lens to help start conversations in a Christ-like manner. Okay, I have water, so we can get back to it. Hopefully I don't have a stroke. Do you have the holy water, though? Uh, are we Catholic? No. No, okay, well. Uh, do I need it? We've got water mixed with coffee, so that's good. Yeah, that's about the least holy water you could possibly get. Uh, but let's get right back in the scripture. We're going to be talking about um, a missional mindset. We're going to go a little beyond uh, what missions is to us and like wh what a mission trip is. We've been talking kind of uh, the biblical and literal sense of the word, but we're going to talk about the mindset behind it. And to get into that, let's get into the book of James, chapter 1. Well, yeah, chapter 1, verse 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself uns uh, unspotted from the world. So that is an interesting phrase there saying this is undefiled religion. Uh, talk about looking after the orphans and widows. So concerning that verse, what makes this type of work and mindset undefiled? Like what, what's the significance behind that word to you? Well, I think Jesus did an incredible job about taking care of and looking after those people who are forgotten or outcast of society or whatever. So if we're being Christ-like, then that those should be the people that we're drawn to, you know, the people that don't have anybody who could have been forgotten by the world um, to kind of pick up the slack, for lack of better words, of making sure those people are cared after. And, and again, it just comes back to showing the love of God to everybody. I mean, that's, that's kingdom work, you know. Mm-hmm. Showing love to your neighbor, that's kingdom work. So those are two two groups that are often forgotten. and The forgotten and the downtrodden, the ones that you walk by and you mm -hmm. spit upon. You know, I mean, the Good Samaritan, I mean, the, the religious groups, the religious people in the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, they walked by and didn't give a glance to him. But his secular enemy, the Samaritan of the Jew, they're supposed to hate each other, but yet... He acted upon him in a Christ-like manner. He took care of him, the one that it's like, okay, I'm not, uh, we're, we're not supposed to be enemies. We're, we're not supposed to be friends. We're supposed to be enemies. Uh, well, I think that that is what Jesus calls us to do, is to humble ourselves, because we're no better than anyone else. But the way that society would look at someone like that, you know, we humble ourselves by caring for those people more than ourselves. Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't make sense to care for the elders and the orphans and the widows. It doesn't make any sense because that's a burden upon us. You know, why would I, they, they make no contribution to society. I mean, in, in the sense of what the world thinks, you know, if, if Darwin is right and he says, you know, survival of the fittest, then the orphans and the widows should be the first to go because they're, they're, they're weighing on me. But yet Christ teaches like, no, that's not the case. If, if it is true that the strongest will survive, then I'm sorry, but yet none of us should be able to have God's grace and have salvation because we are the weakest. God is the strongest, and mm -hmm. he doesn't have to save us, but yet he chooses. He works through the weak. And this is totally countercultural is to, to help the ones that can't fend for themselves, opposed to help those that can't uh, take care of themselves and the ones that are just oppressed uh, by community and, and by the nation and by, by other societies. Yeah, and that's a definitely... Like the way to answer that question, I think, um, 
the reason that helping orphans and widows is undefiled by nature is because there's there's nothing to gain from that. Mm-hmm. Like you're helping people that can't compensate you um, outside of just being the guy that helps or- orphans and widows. Like you're not going to get any personal gain from that. Like there, there's no reason in the grand scheme of things to to help them out unless there's like some some cross-like compassion behind those actions. There's no growth in man's kingdom, but in God's exactly. kingdom, they are valuable. Yeah. Valuable. And so this kingdom that we now live in and that we're stewards of, guess what? It's our job to help them because they're valuable in God's eyes. And I think Haiti, has, the Mountain Faith Missions, they do a fantastic job of helping uh, the orphans and helping the widows. They have programs to help them out. I mean, they have a... Uh, places for the widows to stay on the compound. Uh, I take it for granted it's not you know a million dollar mansion, but yet it's a place that they can minister to these widows, and those widows are a vital part of that community. For uh, some ways that I mean in Haiti that you've seen in Mount Faith Missions that those that would be oppressed in a normal culture that Mount Faith Missions has seen that weakness and has adapted that to the kingdom of God. Well, I think you touched on it when you said that it's the purpose of the church is to minister to those people. You know, the, I, I think worldwide, the capital C church, there's a lot of people out there that do a better job ministering to those people and ministering to a lot of people than the church does. Um, and I think that that should be, we should reflect on that and do better. Um, one thing in Haiti, you know, I think of Eve that nobody but... Julia Tanner and Anthony's going to know, but, um, you know, little Evenson that his grandma had taken to several locations around the area they live in in Haiti trying to find, you know, she was really sick about to die. She needed someone to take care of her grandson who was three at the time, um, and she got no takers on that. But, you know, Eve saw that the little boy was vulnerable and needed somebody and what was going to happen to this kid if he didn't take him. So, you know, he prayed about it, and I don't think it took very long for God to get back to him (laughs) on, you know, I want you to take this kid as your own. So, Mm -hmm. um, and now obviously he's able to, he gets meals and schooling and is being raised in a Christian home and all that. But Eve has two, now three birth children of his own. So that was very he had to humble himself to take care. I mean, he doesn't have, he's not a rich man by Mm -hmm. any, you know, standard definition of the word, but he took it upon himself to, you know, it's going to be my responsibility because if I don't, then who else will? What will happen to that kid? Mm -hmm. Now, I know that that can be taxing upon any kind of family member. Uh, to take on someone that's not their blood and you're paying money for schooling and food. And it's like, you know, our natural instinct is thinking, well, he's not my family member, so why should I take care of him? But yet he went out of his way in a Christ-like way to take care of him. And so I know that some there's sometimes that, you know, it can almost be discouraging doing, doing the work of God because you might not see any benefit out of it. There's no benefit out of it. So, you know, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, don't get tired of doing good work. Don't get tired of it. Reaping will be at the proper time of harvest. And so you may not see the good work that you're doing may have results. And but to me that's that's a direct result. To me, I think that, you know, having taking a child that's not yours, to me I think that's an automatic blessing. Uh but yet there might be some other things uh that mission work of like preaching the gospel or uh, you know, 
trying to reach out in the community uh, in Haiti or Cookville or wherever may not have a direct reaping to the harvest, but yet God says do not have uh, God says do not lose heart. So how are missions difficult? Well, one of the main things is communication. <laughs> There's a barrier there. And that is something. And well, fortunately, most of the world speaks some English. And. Deck, I'm right there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that helps a lot. And I, to me personally, I think that is the biggest difficulty I have with missions is communication. But you get used to it, though. I mean, you pick up on things while you're there, and you just learn how to read people without. And you can spend all day with someone and not even say a word, but you guys are on the same page and you know what you're doing. You know. So just to put it out there, because like, even though like I know that there is that language barrier, like more that that exists, I don't think I've ever been informed like how do you deal with that. So how how do you overcome that, or do you overcome it? Like what? How does it, how is that handled? The way that I sidestep that is honestly because they speak a little bit of English. I, I don't speak any Creole, but the fact that they can speak just a little bit of English goes so far. It really does. And, and of course, there are some Haitians that speak very fluent English. And a lot of times when we're there, they have to travel with us to translate because we don't know. But yeah, that's that's really what I rely on a lot. So for communication. The risk of this sounding like borderline mocking the language, like can you give like an example of how like one of these broken conversations might go? Like just to give kind of <laughs> to take us to Haiti, Antoine. Take us to Haiti. Uh, Come on, yeah. Yeah. You wanna know some Haitian words? <laughs> or well, no, like, how how does a simple like small talk conversation like occur? Like it, I'm just trying to imagine like how, how this works out. Like if you see someone that like you know their name and you want to like ask them like, Hey, how are you doing? Like, how is your day? Like, how how do you have that little broken English sort of almost Creole comprehension, like, back and forth there? Like, how does that work? Well, some people there, that might be just the extent of the conversation. Hi, good morning. How you doing? Okay, good. Now, <laughs> yeah, that's talk, And they just give, like, a thumbs up? Or yeah. do they know to say good? Or <laughs> Yeah. It, <laughs> I mean. I'm just curious. Like, I, it's very awkward, I would say, and going multiple times I've picked up on enough to mm. exchange at least niceties and I, I know several nouns so I can point to something and you know kind of get roundabout but I think it's let's see I've got different prongs of this one you've got people who it's just interesting different personality types so some people can look at you and be like okay you're white you obviously don't speak Creole so I'm going to be easy on you and speak very slowly, very plainly, and use words that you may know or point, do stuff like that. Then you've got people who are just not thinking. They just walk up to you and they're like, blah, 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 and you're just awkwardly smiling and nodding like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you, you know, look to somebody else like, can you help me out? Like, do you know what they're saying? Um, so do you have translators on hand? Normally. When we travel mostly, Especially yeah. if we go off the compound, yeah. we definitely okay. have somebody. But I think it's interesting, and I think it's kind of fun to – it was very awkward the first few times you're going because obviously growing up in America, I'm white. I'm surrounded by white people. If there's people of other nationalities, they're typically in the minority wherever I would go. So I think it's interesting going to places where you're the minority because, one, it helps you see what other people mm. – 
say, you know, in America or whatever, but you're kind of relying on God and your translator and whatever. So, I mean, you're sitting there, you're the only white person in a crowd of, you know, 200 and you have no idea what people are saying about you. You know that they're talking about you, you know, and even though it it's, may not be a bad thing, I'm not definitely not saying that, but, you know, they're saying things about you. You have no idea what they're saying. You have no idea. You hear two people talking and you're just at the at the mercy of whoever you're with. And so I think it's fun. It just it gets you out of your comfort zone. And I think it's interesting, too, though, like when you are outside of the compound and you are with, you know, the your mission friends, you know, your translators and the people that you go with, the people people you hang out with in the mission and you go outside and you're out in the community you can tell that there's a difference in the way that you respond and correlate with them versus the community because you know uh you know uh john baptiste and louis and some of the other guys that go with us uh outside you know that help us and all that stuff it's like we're connected like they're part they're an extension of us and so they they i noticed there was one time that we got stuck during the voodoo festival uh and our 12 hour journey our 12 hour journey and you know here we are we're a group of of white folks in the midst of a sea of haitian voodoo and it's just uncomfortable but i knew the the ones that uh, that went with us as a translator and our driver i could see that they were looking out for us and they were trying to get us back in a safe way. And it's like, okay, we got to go this way because this, this way ain't safe. And so I could see that because they love us and because we love them and there's that connection there, that they were looking out for the well-being as a group as a whole, but looking out for those that were vulnerable. And so even though we're going there to help in our mindset the vulnerable, they were helping the vulnerable in that case, too. So it's just like, you know, we're getting something out of it, too. It's like, you know, we go there to help, but yet in reality, it goes both ways, that they're helping us. They're ministering to us as much as we try to minister to them, which I think is kind of funny. It's kind of cool. So talking about the language barrier, I'm going to go rogue and ask a question that wasn't prepared here. Uh, because it, this popped in my mind, I think it's really interesting. So I don't suppose any of y'all have heard of uh, the new technology that, like, Google's coming out with um, with their earbuds that you can like have other languages get received through the microphone and it'll translate it in real time in just in your ears. Mm-hmm. So you can go out and talk with someone who speaks different language and understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And it might be a little more of a complicated process to like have like a response prepared to like say back, but it does eliminate a, a little bit of that language barrier, at least on the comprehension side of things. How do you think that could change the game when it comes to um, international missions? Like new technologies. Yeah. Not just that, but that, that being kind of an example, like how do you think technology, how do you think this, uh, what the 21st century has given us is going to affect our ability to spread God's word um, across borders? Obviously, I'd say it would be huge from a smaller standpoint. I would say that that would kind of take out the funness of it. Not <laughs> really? so part. I mean, just, just, you know, when you're relaxed and chilling with everybody and, they're blabbering on about whatever and you're trying to pick up on a little bit of what they're saying you know it's kind of like you're cheating if it's yeah. it's kind of fun to figure it out okay but yeah. i th- also think that i mean from the missional side of it that's i don't know i mean that would help and but i think that it's also good to learn their language Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, kind level. of the hard way, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. because that shows you know i care enough about you that i'm i'm gonna learn what you're saying okay. you know what yeah. i mean yeah 
So yeah. I think that would be huge, but I think it also still needs to be personal. So would you say that that language barrier does have some inherent value and in that it helps you celebrate your differences and still like come together on that common ground of God's word? Like, do you think that there's value in the barrier itself? I don't find any value in it, but I, I could see how there could be. I mean, because... I'm not saying there's a right answer to that. Yeah. I'm just kind of like asking questions that come to my head right now. <laughs> like, that's just an interesting concept to me. I think it's cool, the differences, because I, I think sometimes, you know, when we're sitting on the porch of the girls' dorm and they're singing in Creole and we're singing in English, it kind of gives a glimpse of what I think heaven will be like. Hmm. You know, I mean, we I, I, obviously we have no idea what heaven will be like, but... How awesome would that be if everybody from all their countries were just up there singing in their native tongue? And well, I, I could see it as like everyone can probably. I mean, like I, like you said, I don't. I, we don't know what heaven's exactly going to be like. But what if everyone knows all languages? Like, okay, let's sing uh, in Creole in this one verse. All right, let's sing in English this next one. Let's sing Russian in this next verse. And so it's like we all pay homage to the other languages. That'd be interesting. One thing that I look back to is before I was ever able to go um julia had went and when she got back she had played a video for me i think it was you of them singing and they were singing Ten Thousand reasons the same song that we sing exactly the same music but a different language and that really took me back that was a spe- that was something special to hear and i will never forget that yeah so i mean you know, these are special things that we, we take to heart and we take all these things. And, you know, the language barrier is a difficult thing to uh, to cross. Uh, but it is a challenging, and I think it is a blessing because, I mean, it shows that you're interested in that, in that culture. And it shows that you actually want to make a connection with the people, and I think it can be a blessing in that. Uh, but I know it can be overwhelming. I know you hear all this Creole, it's just like, I don't know what you're saying. And when they speak fast... Uh, like they normally do, it's just like hold up, hold up, hold up, slow down. Run that back for me. Yeah. <laughs> Run it back slower. Uh, but I can see that there's sometimes. Do you think that there's burnout in missions? No, I mean not just specifically. Cause I know we're we're all young, and I, I and there's no age on burnout. But can you see that there can be a, a potential of people getting like burnout on this? Physically, I can see it physically. Yes. I mean, we're there for 10 days, and we're burning up. They're used to it. That's how they live. You know, we're burning up and just trying to be comfortable, and you can't. So it's a literal burnout. Yeah, you literally <laughs> burn out. And it, it's not just the heat. It could be anything. Because, I mean, we're, we're Americans. We're used to coming into this enclosed building with a roof on it, mm-hmm. with air conditioning. And... Especially if you had, like, health issues or things like that. I mean, most people can make it pretty long. I mean, with the heat and things like that. We've got water, and you thank the Lord when it rains down there. <laughs> it doesn't. And so I think physically, it's easy to get burnt out physically. Spiritually, personally there, I don't think it would be difficult to get spiritually burnt out because it is so encouraging because they are so... Mm-hmm close to God. They've got a direct line to God down there. I believe it. Now, someone like Eve, who deals with a lot of heavy spiritual things, you know, mm-hmm. with fighting off demons and and just dark, evil things like that, I could absolutely see him being spiritually 
exhausted. Mm-hmm. Could you go in depth on what you mean fighting demons and such? Like I know I've I've heard some of the stories, but let's. So Haiti long ago, um, in their rule from the Spaniards, um, Catholicism was brought over, um, but the native religion would have been voodoo like Aboriginal voodoo. So there's a big tie between, so those religions kind of melded. Um, so there's a lot of voodoo down there. So just to clarify, when we're, when we're talking voodoo, we're not talking like the cartoon. They've got a little stuffed person that they poke with you. Like this is an Correct. actual like, like this religion. is real stuff. Um, and the town that we go, Soto, it's got a cascade that it's kind of a mecca almost for the voodoo religion. So people from around the world come and make sacrifices to the devil and, do all kinds of stuff so um, when he's talking about spiritual warfare yeah it's a whole lot different than here Mm -hmm. so with all these battles with with voodoo and all this combating there and you know and i never i remember when when i went people asked me oh did you feel uncomfortable did you feel unsafe with all the voodoo i'm like no not really i mean i never did feel threatened by a spiritual force that was going to come combat me but thinking back i'm thinking i bet you i had some Eve praying for me, you know, I, I bet you Eve was praying for the, the missionaries coming in and I can see how Eve can get spiritually exhausted, but yet burnout and exhaustion are two different things. Uh, you know, you can exhausted when you work out, but yet afterwards it's like, man, I feel great. Mm-hmm. But burnout is more of a sense of like, I can't do this no more. I'm tired of it. I'm done. I've done too much. Uh, I'm just, I'm over it. I'm over the people. I'm over this. So I think that spiritually, I think that it's a renewal for me when I, when I, when I go to Haiti, it is spiritually exhausting and mentally uh, exhausting and physically exhausting. But yet I think that there can be a time where you see so much stuff and sometimes it can be bad stuff. I know there's a lot of stories in uh, that we've heard that's just like, wow, I can't believe that just happened just a mile down the road. Uh, and I can see that if you've done all these things and witnessed all these things, that it can come a potential of like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm tired of dealing with it. I just want to go back to the States and be comfortable and be safe out of, out, out of the, uh, be safe out of this country, Haiti. You know, but yet I don't think... I've met anyone that, that's that's been to Haiti or been into missions faithfully that they, that's been their mindset because I think God brings a renewal to that. So, I mean, maybe burnout is just a non-existent thing. Maybe God doesn't bring it, that burnout. It may be because when you think about Pastor Turner and all the trials that he had to go through just to get there and get established, I'm sure there were many times he was exhausted Yeah, all the time. But to be burnt out, no. I, I don't see it him. It has to do with out. like faith and obedience. Like if mm-hmm. you're faithful and obedient, then burnout's not in the question. Well, because there was many times that he tells these stories of he was not allowed to go to the country of Haiti at that time because there was so much turmoil. But every time he got pushed back, he was like, no, there is another way. We will find a way to be there. Who's Pastor Turner? He's the the guy who runs the mission, Mountain Faith Mission in American Haiti. American missionary. Okay. How long has he been there? By by uh, since ninety two, right? Yeah, about twenty seven years. And how old is he to our listeners? Gosh, eighty. Oh, wow. old. <laughs> he's, he's I old would fella. say eighty five or so. Yeah. Well, I think when we were there last time, his wife just turned eighty eight. 
right? And he is 87. He just had a birthday. I don't I remember we had a cinnamon cake for his birthday. <laughs> so could you give a brief history of, like, the difficulty that he had setting that stuff up? Because, I mean, me personally, I don't know the story that you just referenced, so. From my understanding, Mountain Faith Mission was already there. Mm-hmm. But he had felt called to Haiti. And at the time, they weren't allowing anyone, I'm assuming American, in and out of the country. And what time was this? This was early 90s. Early 90s. And uh, he was friends with somebody who was higher up who was able to fly there and so they would fly him there and just drop him off and leave him and he would just have to find his way to whatever it is he was trying to do at that time and I think he spent before they moved there officially he went several times and spent Mm -hmm. several months there at a time and would return when he was able to because I assume that it was a very tricky window to get in and out of there without so he lives there now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's been there he's since. There. He right? hasn't been to the states since I want to say in the last six years. Hmm. They've gone down there pretty much, you know, forever. Um, but when he went down there, so the mission was already started um, in the '40s, and but when he went down there, it had been taken back over by Haitians who were not good news. So he had to do a lot of literal fighting to get the mission back. Um, but going back to the question, which obviously things in Haiti and other third world countries don't work like in America, so it's it's about all the time. But um, I think going back to the burnout question, I think it has a lot to do with the person's character because um, I definitely think, I mean, there's a lot of things in Haiti that things never go right, things never go as planned. Like you, you can't have a plan. Things are slow moving. You, it's hard to get things established. Um, so I think it'd be very easy, but I think, I think when you're in God's will, like we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. I mean, he's not going to leave you. So, and it, it's also good to have good people around you. I mean, brother Turner's wife, grandma Turner, I mean, you know, you got to have good, strong people around you as well, which is why unity is so important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you think the, the local church can help with these difficulties? I mean, I know you just touched on a few uh, things that help, like having people around you and stuff like that. Uh, and, of course, like money always helps, like giving monetary gifts to these sorts of causes. But outside of those two, like what are what are some things that you would like to see that maybe the church isn't doing currently that, that can help out with those difficulties and those obstacles? I would like to see the church get together and pray more as a whole. For, for missionaries and specific missionaries. Now, we've started doing this on Sunday mornings. They'll have on the screen a different preacher and his wife to pray for, or it might be a different missionary. And I think it's really important for several reasons for us to get together and to pray specifically for a certain nation or a certain group or certain set of missionaries. And then it's also, like I said earlier, important for us to be informed of what's going on because how do you know what to pray for i mean the lord knows if we pray for them he knows their needs but if we know specifically things that are going on you know there might be other things that we can do to help out yeah because i mean american news isn't going to cover like what's going on in haiti what's going on with the secret church in china like if you're seeing news about china it's definitely not about the church uh so that's yeah i definitely say that's a a responsibility the church is going to have to like 
keep people up to date with what's going on. And it seems like all the resources on uh, mission churches and secret churches and stuff like that, you've got to dig deep to find. Uh, I think one of the good resources uh, is uh, Voice of the Martyrs is another good resource. that it's, it's a free subscription you get in the mail to talk about persecuted church. And I think that's a, a great uh, way that we as the local body can learn about these difficulties in the, in the trying times. And when you read that, and when you read these stories, these are faithful men and women and sometimes children that they are going through so much more than what we would ever experience in our lifetime in America. But they're their mindset is upon the duty and the call of Christ that it's like, why are they smiling in the sense of the way why the world would see them? Why are they so happy? Why are they so joyful? But it's like, wait a minute. I know. Because they're obedient to the will of God and they love Christ enough to go and do what he has said. And they joy in the call to mission to their own people. And I think us, if we need to be aware of that so that we can help them, that we can pray for uh, Billy Bob in Iran, you know? There's, there's got to be a Billy Bob. There's a Billy Bob in Iran, I promise you. I'm sure there is. Somewhere. Also worth mentioning that uh, Voice of the Martyrs does have a podcast called VOM Radio, so if you're Ooh. interested in that, you can check that out. Uh, but we've been talking about global missions mainly, uh, but what do you think? Well, goodness, might might be good if I had the question in front of me. Um what do you think are some of the different challenges between global and local missions? I mean, we've been talking about a lot of the difficulties, uh, like language barriers, those come up when it comes to like global missions. But local missions, uh, like within the states, I mean, you might be going across state borders, but I mean, language is going to be the same. Accents might change, but that's about it. Uh, what do you think are some of the different um, challenges when it comes to local missions? I feel like um, here in America, compared to a country like Haiti, we have a whole lot more than they do. We've got a whole lot more material things, and so I feel like they don't have as many distractions, so they're a lot more receptive than someone in America would be. I feel like that could be something in America that could be an issue because people feel like they don't need that. They feel like they don't need God. They feel like they don't need the gift of salvation that we're trying to preach to them. Hmm. I feel like I... I'd like to give a little bit of an answer to that from my limited experience with local missions. But I feel like it's treated as such a different thing from global missions. I mean, for one, we're, we're calling it two different things right now, local and global. But, I mean, there is a legitimate separation between the two. And there are different legitimate obstacles between the two. But sometimes I feel like the church doesn't put as much priority on local missions because it doesn't seem as glamorous. Because, I, I mean, if you're going over to Haiti and building wells like that, that's something you can make a fo- Facebook post about, it. Like that, you, you can get some likes on Instagram from that. And, I mean, obviously that's that's a good thing. Don't, don't think I'm not saying that. But compare that to going to the local homeless shelter and doing some food. Uh, doing some food. Yeah. <laughs> preparing food. Uh, preparing food for the homeless. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess you could get an Instagram post out of that. But I feel like it, it's not given the same amount of attention. And that might just be me. I mean, if I get some head nods from that, that's cool. But like, do you, do you think that that's an issue, like a difference of importance that the church church places on those two things? I think it's easy to get comfortable if you're doing something here. Whereas, you know, if you're going on a mission trip somewhere else, you know, there's weeks and months of planning that you're actively pouring into the trip. Whereas here, if you're going to do something small, 
it may be quick, but then it's also easy to be like, well, I'm just really tired right now. Like, I'm just going to go home. So it's easy to pass off. And I don't know that there's really such a sense of urgency. So you think we kind of set the bar low with local missions as opposed to, like, global missions? Mm-hmm. Also, like, I'm thinking, like, what would a teenager say? And I would say, well, I don't want my high school crush to see me with an apron on feeding bologna sandwiches. That's just degrading. You know, I can see that there's some people who are so privileged, and it's like, well, I just don't want people to see me, you know. And, and, and in Haiti, I think that's completely removed. You are completely vulnerable. You're drenched in sweat all day long. That's a vulnerable position for me. Uh, but yet, you're doing a work that, in my opinion, I'm, that sweat is the last thing on my mind. Right. Uh, so I, I think I, I agree that we're so comfortable here that we we allow we, we don't want to get out of our comfort zone so close to home, which is ironic. Being in the mission field and having the possibility of going over to Haiti and going to a different world, basically, there is a real possibility of being a martyr and being actually persecuted for the faith. This is a real possibility. And, you know, and I think as a as a part-time or full-time missionary, uh, I think that's something that we really have to weigh the cost of like, okay, I'm going over here to Haiti or I'm going somewhere out of my comfort zone. And there's a possibility that I might be actually persecuted for my faith. I remember years, my dad went years ago to Mount Faith Missions and he told me a story that they said before they got there, there was a, there was a pastor there that they put him in tires. Like they rolled him up a little burrito in tires and rolled him down the hill. I don't know if he died or not, but like, this is a real persecution to the, to the pastors in Haiti. And that's the, the reason why we say that to, and, and to Haiti is because that's the one that's closest to us. But yet this stuff is happening all over the world to the persecuted church. And so this stuff is legit. This stuff is real. So Mark chapter uh, 13, but watch out for yourselves for they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues. Uh, you will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations but when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand. Don't fret. Or pre-meditate uh, what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So there's that comforter again. He gives you what to say during the time of, of persecution or the time that you need to speak what is the truth. Verse 12. Now brother will betray brother to death. And father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Verse 13, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, I don't think when Jesus is speaking this to his disciples, he's not saying, uh, you know, this is this might happen. He's saying this is fact. You know, if we preach uh, the word of God there's going to be tension between it. And I think it's interesting to point out is that it's not, it says when he, when we speak of his name, so when we speak and preach of Jesus, that's when we're going to have tension. So when you speak of God, my goodness, the Muslims believe in God. I mean, uh, uh, 
agnostics. They believe in God. You have all these different religions that have a God, but once you bring Jesus into the picture, then you're going to have trouble. That, then you're going to have strife. Then you're going to be, it says, uh, that you'll be brought up before the synagogues, the religious places. There's going to be other religious groups are going to say, no, you need to shut up because you're speaking the name of Jesus. So this is a real possibility when we are faced in missions. So he says it's necessary that the gospel is preached to all nations and friend will betray friend. You know, brother will betray brother and child will rise against its parents. Now, he says you'll be hated not because of who you are, but because of me. So how can we find unity and peace in the persecuted church. When we hear the facts that there are small churches and secret churches in North Korea and in China, which we know that China, even in the midst of a pandemic of the COVID-19 stuff, that the, the government is still persecuting the church in China. It's just like, give them a break, you know, stop. So how can we find unity and peace even in the amongst their difficulty? I think keeping in mind uh the fact that like China is so hard on the secret church and that there are so many persecuted uh, people in the global church, doesn't that kind of, in essence, prove God's word? Like God's word cuts so deep that people are wanting to silence people. Like, for instance, when when you take like uh, political conspirators out there, it's so easy to just ignore them because you know they're speaking nonsense. They they probably have some mental issues. They're going undiagnosed. And if anything, you, you feel almost sympathy for them, and you just you just go about your day. You know, you don't you don't think about them because why would you? They're just speaking a bunch of nonsense. Then you have people out here that are talking hard truths, talking about God's word, and it, it hits people, it hurts them, it scares them, and their response isn't to ignore it because you can't ignore it. So they want to go and silence it. So the fact that individuals out there are going through all these trials and tribulations, I mean, for one, that gives me comfort because I've been blessed to not live in that, <laughs> like, as selfish as that uh, may be. But that also, I mean, that reinforces God's word to me. I mean, how, mm-hmm. how could it be true if it didn't offend people to the extent that they want to go and kill people to keep it from spreading? And the fact that it is still spreading and the fact that we're able to talk about it freely here in, in this country like that, that just gives so much more power to God's word, I think. I think Tertullian, he says that the blood of this the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of the church. And I think that's true because it's like, you know, you see all these uh, small churches and and, uh, secret churches in the Islamic State and Iran and in India and Nigeria. They're being persecuted, but yet it's booming. The church is booming compared to what's happening in the United States because we're not truly being persecuted. We're having people turn away from the faith in the United States, it seems like. You know, they've, they've, they've found a different religion, the religion of uh, uh, rationality without God. They found all these different things, but yet here, when they're actually being persecuted of life and limb, it is a total transform thinking that makes people think, okay, there's something different about them. So I, I think that's one reason when you have true people that are willing to stand up in faith and said, I'm willing to die for Christ and I'm willing to sacrifice myself for the oppressed and, and the broken, you're going to see a boom in the church of God. I think the reason it's so difficult or their faith is so strong in an area where it is so difficult and it is so dangerous is because they need God the most. Yeah. Okay. In yeah. America, a lot of, I mean, we have everything we need here. We think we do, you know, physically, 
we have everything we could ever dream of here and so for a lot of us you know people don't need they in air quotations don't need god but they do Mm. and when things are difficult that's when you're the closest to god because that's when you need him most yeah when you're i don't know if we've talked about it before um in a past episode but there was a study several years ago about like the more uh, economically prosperous a country is the less percentage the less amount of like Christians per capita there are and that goes further than like how rich the country is that goes into like how robust their welfare programs their healthcare programs like the amount of like despair that is potential in the country if that sentence makes any sense like if you fail on your own but you have a ton of safety nets like what why do you need faith in god when you can instead trust in everything that man has made so i didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off there no you're good so would you say it's difficult to relate to, per, to the persecuted as an american yes i've never faced persecution in any way really yeah not even I'm, Haiti. no <laughs> i mean i've never had anyone hate me for my faith ever to go back to that language barrier, they could be kissing us. They, they could, could be, be, yeah. <laughs> they could be. So we're going to close this up. I want to ask a, a two last questions. Um, but what are some things that the local body needs to be aware of, either through Mount Faith missions or through a missionary mindset? How are some ways that the local body can help with that or with y'all or with missions? I think just keeping them informed. Like Mountain Faith Mission has an email list that you can sign up for, and they keep you updated on what's going on there. Mm-hmm. And without that, we would have no idea. I think that's one of the best ways to, is to just keep everybody informed on what's going on and giving, obviously. Mm-hmm. That always helps. But. And I think, it, I mean, being with that being informed, you know, like right now in Haiti, they're affected by the COVID-19. Their teachers aren't working, so they're not getting a paycheck versus Americans here. The teachers, you know, our government's trying to do stuff. They're, our teachers are still getting paid. So um, down there, and I would assume that that extends to pastors since they're not able to meet um, as a church. They're not taking up any offering. Um, so that's one thing that a lot of people probably don't know. But, you know, us stateside that do know that, and that's also that's on us that, do know about these things is sharing so with these teachers that aren't getting income right now you know we're scrambling trying to find ways to make sure that their kids are still fed and all that so I mean it's on the people who don't go and it's on the people who do go to share these opportunities with with them Mm -hmm. so how can we bridge the gap you know, we've, we've talked about all, all this stuff, and we've talked about, you know, the necessity of Christ and, you know, having being within his will and uh, going forth, baptizing them, teaching them, remember Christ, and all these verbs and all these actions that Christ has called us to do. But yet, how can we bridge the gap between the local and the global church? How can we bridge the gap between internal to external missions? How can we bring them together, or are they two separate things individually? I don't think they're separate. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think that the sooner that we realize that we're all in this together, that applies to global, that implies to local, that applies to Free Will Baptist, to Church of Christ. Once we figure out that we're all in this together, I think that that's when we'll start seeing an influx of goodness being done. Not that there's not goodness being done here, but it'll go a whole lot smoother once we 
do reach that unity and stop trying to pick apart the differences. Mm-hmm. Even though the differences are good, but yet differences can be a barrier mm-hmm. in, in communication. I mean, the work that they're doing in Haiti should be the same work that we're doing here, you know, helping the downtrodden. Right. Well, I mean, obviously, talking about missions, that's a pretty broad subject. So we've, I hope that we've done a decent job of going in depth on the, the unity aspect of it and how the church can uh, better provide and help y'all and others that answer the, the concrete capital C call to, to missions. Because, I mean, of course, as we've established, everyone's called to that to some extent. Uh, but personally, I mean, I had fun talking to y'all. Yeah, uh, it was great. I had fun yeah. talking. I know this is kind of new to y'all. A new format, but... Yeah, and of course, in the future, we'll, we'll be doing future episodes with people that have also done mission work, but maybe on a different subject. So, hey, we might recap sometime, maybe after several more trips, dozens of trips, dozens. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll be semi-regulars. But Five years later. Five years later. Regardless, we'll uh, catch you in the next episode. All right. Thanks cool. for having Thanks. us. Thanks. See you.